Fuck Chunk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me today is special guest Blake Isaacs, uh, who is one of our writers. He writes a weekly column for Puck Junk called Blake's Takes. He's been writing it for oh, a long time now. Uh, what has it been, like two seasons almost? Yeah, definitely. I think this upcoming season will be number three. Yeah, so, well, in fairness, if the season was over by now, we could say two se- two full That's seasons. True. But uh, Blake is being so kind as to uh, be a podcast co-host today because um, Tim is unavailable. Something about having his kids for the week. I don't know. I wouldn't understand that. I don't have kids. And then Jim Howard, um, you know, some nonsense about having to travel for work. What is with these people and their commitments, man? I, I relate more to a 25-year-old to, than to a 45-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so... Um, Blake, how are you doing? Yeah, I mean... Personally, and just the world, I mean, the world is falling apart before our eyes. I'm so sorry this had to happen to you before you turned 30. No, I mean, I think I have a job, I have an apartment, and I am healthy. So, you know, I think that is a plus. But, you know, I don't think anyone could honestly say they're good with what's going on. But I am grateful that, you know, I have you know, my health and my family right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we all, we look at something like this and, and we are thankful. We have to address what happened last week with uh, the murder of, of George Floyd at the hands of um, a Minneapolis policeman and, and the three other policemen who just stood there and watched. And then, you know, the, the, the backlash against that from, the peaceful protests to the violent protests to the, um, and then that, you know, then there's rioting and looting, which of course, you know, nobody really condones that kind of behavior, but then there's Mm -hmm. also, um, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's getting worse with the president tear gassing peaceful protesters in Washington. And I guess that's why I said, I'm sorry you had to see all of this before you're 30. Cause I mean, I don't think the world should end before your 30th birthday. That's just not fair. The first 18 years are just getting, it's like that's the prerequisites. And now you're at the part of life where you you can like take the classes you want to take, you know, to give a metaphor, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, I'm ready because <laughs> life has been interesting. But uh, yeah, no, I think, I think you opened really well. Um, you know, as someone with privilege, like, you know, we talked about this earlier, like, you know, we just, I just think we can just, just to put it out there, like, obviously what's going on is horrific. And, you know, with the senseless murder of George Floyd and, you know, the way, way too many black people and other people of color who came before him. And, you know, this has been going on for, you know, the entire history of the United States. And it's terrible. And, you know, we talked about this earlier, like, you know, I've learned more in the last three days than I've learned in my first 25 years. And, you know, I grew up in a pretty liberal, culturally diverse area uh, in Farmington Hills, Metro Detroit. Uh, You know, someone who's, uh, my dad's Jewish, I'm Jewish. So, you know, tip gives me just a tiny bit more perspective and, you know, not not that I can understand, but um, the community I was a part of was, say, more under not understanding, but empathetic and tolerant and forward thinking 
um, you know, I think that should be more of the norm than a, a plus. But like I said, you know, I always thought I was at the top tier for, you know, someone with privilege to be an ally and to be someone who stood up for people of color. And like, I, you know, my just as a 25 year old, my mind's kind of been blown with how much further I could go and how much more I need to do and take upon myself and the people around me to like raise up people that have been oppressed, you know? Um, so I think that, and, you know, I'd love to talk about, you know, share, obviously we're here so we can share our thoughts and like how we feel what's going on in hockey. So, right. So, um, I do want to bring up one thing. So you talked about growing up in a culturally diverse, uh, uh neighborhood in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Michigan and uh, I want to read this paragraph that uh, Shea Weber put out on um, Twitter. Uh, and I thought this was really good. I'm not going to read the whole statement. I'm mm-hmm. going to read the first paragraph because I thought it really, really just, he said it really well. He said, I've been baffled and frustrated since I first saw this disturbing and senseless killing of George Floyd. I've not been sure how to express my feelings. Growing up in a small town never afforded me the worldly experiences to understand racism or to ever really think about this issue as a young individual. My eyes have been opened to the realities that many people who don't look like me face on a daily basis. Racism is very real and must be called out. He then goes on to talk about how sports brings people together, how we need to push for equality and his condolences for the family. And then he ends with the hashtag of Black Lives Matter. Now, I thought Shea Weber said that very well. He just said, look, I didn't grow up in a diverse area. I didn't have friends maybe, or I didn't grow up with people who didn't look like me. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I don't have the the tools. I don't have the experiences. Like he's upset, but he's not sure how to say, say that. And I think that's a great way of putting it because, you know, you, you run the risk. It's like, if you say something and you try to say the right thing and you, you know, and, and you try to express something, sometimes that backfires and people get mm-hmm. angry, you know, like, Oh, well you have no right to say this because you have an experience. It's like, if you say, I know what, you know, I know what it feels like to lose a family member. It's like, well, but you never lost a family member to police violence. And yeah, that's true. Or, or that sort of thing. So I thought what he said was very eloquent. Yeah. I mean, from what you read and you know what I've read too, I, I don't disagree. All we, I think what we can do is people with privileges to listen. Um, you know, if, and just try to be better, you know, like just listen to the people who do have that perspective. Um, you know, like I, like, you know, you mentioned that, you know, I'm from an area where I had a lot more access to, to see that stuff. Um, you know, I'm grateful that I had that, you know, I can remember like a couple conversations in my lifetime where, you know, I kind of was like, it kind of hit me. I'm like, Oh, you know, this is, this is the way, you know, this is actual racism and, you know, a lot of conversations with people of color that like, I'm very grateful to have had. And it's good that, you know, a lot of that what's going on has kind of woken up some white people or people with privilege to be allies, you know, like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know Shea Weber um, from what he says, you know, I haven't heard any bad words about him. He seems to be an all right guy, but I think the world needs more people who you know, I mean, like, it, it, it's hard to have this conversation because let's not, like, go out. You know, I don't want to be like, let's commend all these white people who have privilege who are speaking up. Because it's easy are... to say something, but it's hard to do something. Yeah, but I think at the same time, like, if 
it's important that people with a platform are being allies. And if Shea Weber was a good person and with everything that's going on turned into an ally, and that happens across the board, you know, hopefully that chain reaction can reach the people that aren't as good hearted as Shea Weber or other people. I saw Tyler Sagan made a statement. Mm -hmm. Many players have Jonathan Taves. You know, if, if those people who hold a lot of influence can come out and say, Hey, let's be an ally. Let's maybe that'll change the mind of the people who aren't. And maybe that'll push them more in the right direction. And maybe we can see real change, you know, like, I don't want to say it's difficult as a person with privilege to like speak on this because like what we think doesn't really matter that much. But like, again, we're just trying to do what we can to help. And I think that like if every player or every person with the influence Shea Weber has comes out and says what Shea Weber is or did that is privileged and follows that with action, I think we're going to be in a lot better place than we are today. And I think that's really what's important. You know, the other thing too is that athletes – People aspire to be like athletes. Young people aspire mm-hmm. to be like athletes. And, I, you know, athletes embody a lot of good qualities, um, mm-hmm. obviously, on the playing field. I mean, I know you're a big basketball fan, so, of course, you know who Charles Barkley is. Yeah. So did you ever uh, hear, like, his old clip of him saying, I'm not, I'm, not, model, yeah. I'm not a role model, right? Mm-hmm. And so he he's right to a point. He doesn't want to be a role model. And I'm sure you watched uh, The Last Dance. Yeah, I did. On ESPN and Michael Jordan just talking about how hard it is to be Michael Jordan because it's like he has to be on all the time. He has to be smiling. He has to be happy. He has to be your friend because he's the guy endorsing the shoes or the cereal or the underwear or whatever. I think for the players that embrace being a role model that people will look and say, wow, look at what Jonathan Taves said or look at what John Tavares says. And I want to actually, Tavares made a short statement and I want to read this um, Obviously, mm-hmm. all stuff is on, on social media, and you, you all can find it or you might have seen it. But I thought what Tavares said was very poignant. It was short and sweet and to the point. He said, the events of the past week opened my eyes to how I will never fully understand the struggle of our black and minority communities. I will continue to listen and learn so that I can be part of meaningful change. Times like these show we must come together to commit ourselves to anti-racism and equality for all. Let's do our part to build a better future. Now, I thought that, again, that was great because he's saying, I I don't fully understand this, you know, and, and that's good because he's not trying to be like the expert. And then I thought Jonathan Taves, as long as we're going with two Johns, um, yeah. and I'm not going to read this because this goes, this, this whole thing is very long, but I want to mm-hmm. read the first couple of paragraphs because I just thought this was really powerful. He said, a lot of people may claim these riots and acts of destruction are a terrible response. I'll be the first to admit that as a white male, that was also my first reaction. But who am I to tell someone that their pain is not real, especially when it is at a boiling point, boiling point and impossible to hold in anymore? It's obviously coming from a place of truth. This reaction isn't coming out of thin air. I'm not condoning or approving the looting, but are we really going to sit here and say that peaceful protesting is the only answer? There has been plenty of time for that, and it was, uh, and if it was the answer, we would have given it our full attention long ago. And I'm just like, wow. So first he's like saying, this is wrong. And then he's saying, nope, that's my gut reaction. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they feel. And you know what? The peaceful protests they're not working. I mean, look at how uh, Colin Kaepernick was run out of the NFL uh, and then we, you know, and then 
I mean, uh, I want to bring up JT Brown later on, right? So mm-hmm. I think that Taves, I mean, he just said something really like, he's just saying, who am I to tell somebody that their pain isn't real? And, you know, maybe this isn't an overreaching thing. I'm not a- approving the looting, but, you know, the peaceful protests, they're not working. I don't, I never understood why rioters and protesters, when things got violent, why they wanted to burn down the stores or homes in their own community. But burning down the police station, that gave me pause. And I said, wow. I said, you know what? When you're at war with somebody, you you attack their castle. Mm-hmm. And that's what it seemed like to me. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was property destruction. And I get it. Oh, it's taxpayer money. But everything is taxpayer money. If they torch the streets, that's taxpayer money. If they, um, maybe if they burn down private businesses, that's not taxpayer money. But there's still taxpayer money. But something like that, it's like, I mean, that, I was just like, wow. To me, that made a more powerful statement than anything. I mean, the looting is just bullshit. I, the, the mall two blocks from my house on Sunday was looted. I mean, I went there today um, just to see what was going on. I mean, there were still uh, businesses boarded up. Um, there was uh, police there. Uh, there were a lot of windows that had been smashed. They barricaded most of the entrances so you could only get in and out of the mall in certain ways. A couple of days ago, they even blocked off certain streets with dumpsters. So anybody trying to make a quick getaway would, would crash into a dumpster. So, yeah, I think what Taves, though, said, I mean, yeah, the looting is is, is bogus, but the other stuff, eh, well, the peaceful stuff isn't working. So let's see what's behind door number two. I'm trying not to sound very flip about a very serious topic. Yeah, um, I read Taves' statement as well. And, you know, I think it's good to see someone who's such a high-profile person in a city that, you know, has a huge black population, you know? Um, and Hugely a, and a very, segregated, too. Yeah, like, obviously, Chicago is not, you know, is is not doing well with that. And it's something that needs to be changed. And, you know, if, if, if you know, the captain of the Blackhawks is going to get, you know, hopefully have a lot of influence on people who might not be allies. And I think that's huge. Uh, you know, with, with your point on the looting at first i didn't understand it and you know instead of you know making my own assumptions you know i talked to some friends uh i have a black friend i talked to just trying to like see because again like it's not really up to me to decide how i feel because it's not about me Um, right you know and like you know obviously like if they burn my apartment down i'd be pretty upset but like you know i it's not going to, you know, it's like, obviously, if, uh, if you're affected by it, you know, if you're a small business and they burn down your store, you're going to be upset. But like, you know, it's, it hasn't affected me negatively. And it's really not about that. It's like, you know, I talked to a friend and he's like, people have been peacefully protesting for a long time, you know, and like, we're, st- we're still in kind of a shit place. So like, I've always been pretty radical in j- not necessarily in this subject, but in like, do what you got to do to like, you know, it's like, people are being killed. You know, like yeah. George Floyd was murdered by a police officer. And like the fact that that's even possible in a country like ours is, you know, obviously it, it happens a lot. So it's believable, but it shouldn't be. And like, like, what do, how do you fix that? And like, it, see, it, it, it seems like people are finally listening. And if it takes looting and if it takes, you know, like, I don't think anyone's going to say like, yeah, go do some horrendous act. But like, if that's what it's going to take, like, it's not like this is kind of on the people who haven't been listening in the first place, you know, like 
don't get mad at the people looting. Like, get mad at the people who have been oppressing black people and other people of color for the last 100, 200 years, you know? Like, right, right. This is, the, this is if you if you want to place blame, like, we should have listened to it before, you know? And, like, like when, when is it going to, like, what, what has to, because, like, you know, people say, like, don't loot, only peacefully protest. But, like, this isn't the first protest. Like, people protest every day. Like, there are organizations who are asking for donations and protesting and lobbying every day. And, like... Mm-hmm. You don't hear about it. So, like, if this is the straw that breaks the camel's back, like, you know, like, you see what Target said, like, we'll be okay. You know, they got their insurance money. And, like, mm-hmm. it's not – this isn't our priority. Our priority is, you know, the safety and, you know, of our customers and our community and, like, the lack of – and, like, to of obviously abolish racism. And, like, you know, because, Sal, I thought long and hard about it. I was, like, if you take it at face value, like, burning down buildings bad, you know, pretty typical. Like, mm-hmm. You know, and you don't want to, you don't want people to get hurt, but like, what, like, what, what's it going to take? You know, like if, if, if peaceful protest was the answer, like people have been like doing that for a long time, like it hasn't worked. So whatever works, obviously I don't want to see people get hurt, but like, I'd like well, to see this, this change. nation, this nation was not founded on peaceful protest. Exactly. And, and I'll, I'll say this also, well, I'm still a dork as an adult, but as a kid, I was a dorky kid and I used to get picked on. And I remember uh, one time I stood up to my, to a kid who had bullied me for three and a half years of high school. And I don't know why this kid bullied me. And I always tried being nice to him and I always tried to be cordial. And we both had last names that began with B. So our lockers were right next to each other. And we'd Mm -hmm. always sit next to each other or near each other because the teacher would always do classes alphabetically. And so I had to put up with this fucker for three years, three and a half years. And then one day he pushes me out of the lunch line. And I guess nothing comes between me and food. And I push him back and he pushes me and he's like, I'm, you want me to kick your ass? I said, no, but if you push me, I'm going to keep pushing you. And then he said something, I don't know, whatever. And then he walks away. And then after that, the dude ignored me. And in fact, every time I looked at him, he looked away from me. And I just thought, yeah. oh, I pushed him and he stopped. Now, I'm not saying that works for everything, because if the dude was 6'5", he probably would have clobbered me. But yeah. uh, but you know what? Then again, no, because even even somebody bigger than you. I mean, I even remember playing hockey and I'm a terrible hockey player, but I remember playing in my D league. And I remember there was this big guy that would just like to knock into people. And he, he knocks into me, you know, he was a bully. And I, I slashed him and I said, you do that again. And, and, and I'm just going to keep slashing you. And he's like, Oh, I'm afraid. I said, yeah, try me. And you know what? He, he left me alone after that. Yeah. He left me alone. So it's, it, you know, maybe he just thought I was comical and was like, oh, whatever. Or maybe he was just like, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to start with this guy because he's going to defend himself. Right. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's what it is, is like you you make a statement like that. You know, you don't oh, please don't do that. Please don't pick on me. Why you guys got to be like this? Right. That doesn't work. It never works. I'm yeah, not saying no. that you have to kill the bully either. You know, sometimes you have to. I, I, I don't know torture police station as terrible as that sounds but wow i mean i'm just amazed by that still yeah uh i mean i'm a i'm a big fan i study political theory in college uh okay any of my friends who listen to that are gonna give me shit for it but uh i'm not Ah. sure if you've ever read uh the prince by machiavelli and kind of his big thing was like the ends justify the means i read enough of it just to cherry pick it and sound smart 
Yeah, he's he's uh, my guy. Yeah, I got to go to his grave in Florence. Kind of geeked out a little bit. Um, oh wow! Class. Yeah, it was. Uh, he's he's my guy. Hey man, the ends justify the means, you know. Like, obviously, you know, you hope that those means aren't you know atrocious and innocent. Like when I say innocent people, like obviously, like you don't want people to die, but like the ends justify the means, man. And I think like black people and people of color have been suffering long enough to like take what belongs to them and. I had one more point. You mentioned the role model thing, and I find that interesting because, you know, like Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan, like, hey, I don't want to be a role model. But I think in this case, like, you know, if you compare it to Shea Weber, like there's a big difference between like not being a role model, like Michael Jordan, you know, obviously was famous for gambling and, you know, Charles Barkley, like they were partying and stuff. But there's a big difference between like not being, you know, like in some people's eyes, like a model citizen and like being complicit with racism, you know, like. Mm-hmm. I think there's a huge jump to say like, oh, that guy gambles too much, you know, like, oh, that guy like is racist or, like, you know, I feel like there is a baseline. If I, if I've realized anything is like, you know, a lot of, you know, it's kind of a good segue into the NHL and teams statements, but like, I think there's a difference in like, I feel like now the reason that a lot of organizations and teams are speaking out is because it's become the baseline, like saying we're anti-racist shouldn't be a plus. It should be the automatic. You know, right. Whereas like Shea Weber coming out and saying that should be like pretty obvious and pretty like, okay, he he's normal. You know, Mm -hmm. I saw something where like men who treat women with respect should be that should be the the normal. It shouldn't be like a plus, you know, you should treat everyone with respect and like something like that. So like, you know, it brings me to the teams and, and what they said is like, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, like I had a really good analogy where like a lot of teams and I haven't read every team statement is like, you know, they're saying, you know, obviously the normal, like black lives matter, racism is, is bad, which is all true, but like, it's easy. It, that That's an easy thing to say. It's an easy thing to do, put out a tweet because it's a slam dunk. Like you look bad if you don't say it and everyone, it's like, again, it's the borderline. It's, it's the bare minimum to say mm-hmm. it. And like, I'll give you an example. So I'm sure some people here might follow basketball. Donald Sterling, who was at the time the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, with there were leaked voicemails of him calling his mistress, saying that he doesn't like it when she takes pictures with black people. That the one the black person he was referencing was Magic Johnson. And Jeez. regardless of regardless of because I've seen all this, it didn't it shouldn't matter who it is if it's Magic yeah. Johnson or if it's someone else. And that voicemail that she leaked, Vistaviana was her name was the the catalyst for him losing the Clippers. The league banned him for life. He sold the Clippers to Steve Ballmer, the, you know, the, what, the CEO, former CEO. Microsoft, yeah. Yeah. That was 2013. I I remember that because I was in a, I was in a sports writing class and we talked about Mm -hmm. that. And uh, yeah, that was like winter, spring of, of 2013. So anyway, yes, please continue. Yeah. And, but Monty Jones, who's a really, really smart and intelligent and, like woke, if you will, um, personality for ESPN. And he was like, I've been covering Donald Sterling forever. And he's done a lot of terrible things. And he's been profiling African-Americans, black people, people of color out of, he's like a real estate mogul, like out of the properties that he owns for years. And like Mm -hmm. that, and like that displacement of people of color and like where they're living, again, I'm not an expert in that subject, but I remember what Bamani Jones said has led to like very poor like the things that have happened because of what he does has like inflamed racism and led to like a lot of bad results because of that. And again, I don't have the the jargon that I should, 
but he's mm-hmm. like that those actions have killed people you know and he's been doing that for 50 years and every mm-hmm. nba owner knew that he was a piece of shit racist and never did a thing about it and oh he says one bad word about magic johnson it's easy it's an easy slam dunk let's ban him from the league when like they didn't do anything before so like yeah it's cool that like the league and these teams have made these statements but like they're owned by multimillionaires, billionaires like that's the baseline like now with what's going on i think it's fine we're finally to the point where like that is the baseline and that should be automatically like, do something about it you know like mm-hmm. yeah great you made a statement as you should you know you should be outraged and you should be upset in every emotion that comes with it but like you have the platform and the, a lot of the players have used that jonathan tape shea weber to make a difference like imagine what a donation from um, like what what's a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars to james dolan who owns the rangers like a drop in the bucket like right i mean dolan himself said some pretty terrible things but he's the only owner whose name i could think of in the moment like do something like you have the platform to actually make change like do it the nhl teams uh, so i mean the nhl said uh their statement on Sunday, as protests in both the United States and Canada in recent days have focused attention upon racial justice for the black community, the NHL stands with all those who are working to achieve a racially just society and against all those who perpetuate and uphold racism, hatred, bigotry, and violence. We share the sentiments expressed by our players and clubs in their calls for justice, and we encourage everyone to use their platforms and privilege for systemic change. In our own sport, we will continue to do better and work diligently towards culture change throughout hockey and endeavor to be mindful of our own shortcomings in the process. Now, okay, first of all, I should have probably just started by prefacing by saying that I looked at some of the team statements and to me, they more or less said the same thing. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you almost have to say something now. Cause if you don't say something, then it means you're, it's like, you might not be the best person to say, to, mm-hmm. to speak on this. Like, I don't really care what Kia motors has to say about what happened the last week. I don't care what uh, Papa John's pizza. Well, no, nah, he's a racist. Yeah, well, he's gone. But I, I, I'm, using, I'm using that one to be funny. But you know what? I don't really care what the McDonald's Corporation has to say about the the events of the past week, right? Like that doesn't. I don't feel better. Like if mm-hmm. if 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 our president was a good person and he said something reassuring and said that he, you know, that there needs to be more done about it, then you'd be like, okay, that's nice. But I don't care that you know Black and Decker abhors racism of all kinds and it's like cool i was thinking about buying a cordless drill i'm glad black and decker chimed in and and said something right like now i know i want to buy a black and decker and not a craftsman right because they didn't say anything about racism so clearly they're racist right i mean it's just it's like they're they don't need to say something but like with these sports teams because they're so high profile um it's like they they have to say something, but what they say I don't really feel is significant. And then I'm reading what the NHL said because I just wanted to read what they said because, you know, they're they're the league. Mm-hmm. And I think about how they could do a lot better. I think back to, I mean, Akeem Alou, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, when he brought that up, that, was, that seemed to be enacted on right away. Yeah. Um, but then I think of, like, J.T. Brown, who was with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and he did the Black Power fist salute during the game or during the anthem of the game. He did it twice. Mm -hmm. He did it once during uh, preseason and once during a regular season game. And then 
eventually he gets like that same season okay not only does he get death threats and threats of violence and death directed towards him for doing that for you know in his words to bring awareness to police brutality and inequality for minorities you know okay so he raises his fist you know that makes people so uncomfortable or they just don't like the fact that you know i mean really it pisses off the racists me i don't care cool, he raised his fist. Yeah, I want to raise my fist too. That's a good feel. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm with you. I understand that. I respect that, right? And then it's the people who, um, you know, the same people who said Colin Kaepernick was disrespecting the flag, disrespecting the veterans. You know, those mm. are the same people who get upset about this. But I just find it a little... I'm not trying to make a conspiracy theory here, but he does uh, Black Power Salute. He says he's going to work with the police or whatever in, in neighborhoods mm-hmm. to try to raise awareness about this. And then he ends up being put on waivers and claimed by the Anaheim Ducks. It seems like Tampa Bay sent him as far away as they could, with the exception of Winnipeg, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's it was probably nothing or maybe it was something. Maybe it was just like, hey, let's get rid of this guy first chance we get because... Uh, he's he's bringing attention to the team and we don't want this kind of attention to our team. Or am yeah. I reading too much into this? I think there's a lot to unpack there. You know, you said a lot. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about like all these companies that are making statements, typically I'd agree with you. Like, I don't really care what Black and Decker thinks or McDonald's, you know, because they're not, some of them don't really affect affect that sphere, you know. Um, obviously, I think all of them do because they all hire people and you know, obviously there's laws in place to make sure that there's not discriminatory hiring practices. But I see right. I see what you're saying that like, yes, I don't really care what Black & Decker has to say because I'm not in the market to buy a drill. But I do care what the NHL has to say because they're in the market of people and, you know, they are very high profile and they can make a difference much easier than Black & Decker can. You know, like, yeah, um, I think this is a good time. And to for all these like, again, like for all these companies to make statements um, because I think, I think we're finally past the point where racism is political, you know, like, yes, there is a chance that you lose revenue because of what you say. But at the same time, like, I think we've, we are at the point where like something needs to be said. And like, I want to make it a goal for myself to be more mindful of like, yeah, if this organization does support, you know, like, uh, Chick-fil-A, right? Like mm-hmm. they outwardly are anti-LGBTQ. Oh you know? yeah. Like I don't want to support Chick-fil-A. I don't want to eat their chicken. I don't want to support them because they are a detriment to improving as a society. And I think this is a good time for us to push for that, you know, and push for these organizations to make, yeah, normally I wouldn't care. Um, but I think this is a good time because if we can, push them to outwardly you know make these statements hopefully action follows and i think that's the more important thing like yeah objectively if black and decker is secretly funneling money into you know the chicago community bail fund or black lives matter and all these really positive movements then and they don't make a statement like objectively yes that they are more productive than someone who makes a statement and doesn't um give money but like Mm -hmm. you know obviously like you'd like to see the entire everything happened you'd like to see mcdonald's make a statement and then support money and like obviously there's all this thing with clout chasing and you know oh we you know so promoting that you did that but you know like let's let action speak louder than words in that front and i think that you know like i there are companies that i don't support because of their political views you know um a lot of people stop supporting the nfl because of 
the Colin Kaepernick situation mm-hmm. and these owners and their teams, you know, if there was an owner and then, you know, if like, if the Red Wings, I'm a big Red Wings fan made us in, if Chris Prilich said something racist, like I'd have to stop supporting, I'd have to stop going to games and, and putting my money into that. And like, hopefully, you know, that makes a difference because it does, you know, people say like stops like, yeah, if everyone stopped going to Chick-fil-A, they'd go out of business or they'd sell it to someone who wasn't. You know, right. Um, and I've you know, never, never eaten there, by the way, for that very reason. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny because I call Papa John's racist pizza and I call uh, Chick-fil-A home of the homophobic chicken sandwich, which mm-hmm. doesn't really have as fun of a ring as racist pizza. But, uh, you know, that's just how I feel about it. Right. Hobby Lobby is another terrible organization, yep. Hobby be- Lobby, yeah. you know, um, mm-hmm. which you know, just as this slowly becomes a politics podcast where we just talk about all the, you know, and then we could get into like Home Depot yeah. and, and was it Prop 11 or Prop whatever that they're trying to support. And my apologies for not knowing that proposition that they're trying to support. That's a bad idea. But yeah, I mean, you're right about that. It'd be hard. I mean, even like, I'll give you like a for instance, and damn, I can't remember the player's name now. Who was the... um African-Canadian defenseman. I think he played for the Red Wings for a little bit. He played for the Penguins. He played for the Blackhawks. Oh, Trevor Daly. Trevor Trevor Daly, Daly, right. So when Daly was playing for the junior team owned by John Van Beesbrook, Van Beesbrook used the N-word, and I think he referred to him as the N-word. And uh, I believe Bobby Orr was uh, Trevor Daly's agent and just Mm -hmm. basically said, you're coming home right now. Like you're not staying with that team. And Van Beesbrook ended up, you know, uh, firing himself as the GM. And, and I think he ended any, and he ended up selling the team because he knew that if, if he stayed with the team that nobody would want to deal with it. And you know, I think what he said was horrible and I think that somebody, uh, you know, an American, um, and I think he grew up, well, he probably grew up in Michigan. I can't remember now. But I mean, man, I used to love the Beezer. I mean, I remember back in college, I had this huge metallic picture of his Florida Panthers goalie mask that would mm-hmm. hang out. And I framed it and I hung it on our wall. And my other roommates weren't hockey fans, but they didn't care. It was just, I put it up. I thought it was cool. And I was just like, I loved John Van Beesbrook you know, back when he was at the Rangers. And now I kind of have a little bit of like, now I don't really, I I don't like him because what he said and what he did. And I have a hard time Mm -hmm. with that because I liked him as a player. I mean, he was like one of the first really great American goaltenders. I mean, Mike Richter uh, supplanted him as the Rangers number one and is in the Hall of Fame. And there's an argument that Van Beesbrook should be in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, it always comes back to what he said. And so, you know, there's definitely like, I liked him as a player. But man, I I don't want to say I wish he didn't say what he said. I want to say I wish he didn't think what he thought, you know, have those thoughts to begin with. I know what you're saying. It would make it easier on your conscience to say, Hey, I have all these positive memories associated with this, with this person. It would make me feel better if he didn't, if he wasn't like that, because then now you look back and those positive memories are, you know, are complicated. It's kind of right. a cognitive dissidence. I know what you mean. We're like, yeah, you wish he wasn't a shitbag person to start, uh, you know, more, more than anything, because that's, what's important. Um, obviously like, I'm sure you'd rather he, 
be a good person rather than you just having like a, a little internal conflict with liking him as a player and knowing that he's a shit person. But again, it's not about how I feel. It's about yeah, how yeah. Trevor Daly feels. It's a, how about other people uh, might feel because of his words and his actions. And I don't know what, I don't think he really took actions. I think he just said stupid racist stuff. I can't be the one who, who says when it's okay for John Van Beesbrook to be liked again, just like, okay. So Andrew Shaw, when he said uh, the F word against uh, Mm -hmm. gay people, right. The bundle of sticks is uh, as, as Tim would always say, right? Yeah. So he said that he was pissed off and he said something to the referee and it's just like he apologized. He, you know, he, he got suspended. He apologized. He felt terrible. He talked with one of the Chicago area writers who's openly gay and just said, look, I want to talk to you about this because I want, you know, because I like you, I like your writing and I don't want, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry, I know what I said hurt you more than anybody else. And I wasn't directing this at you. I, you know, I was directing my anger towards a referee and it was a, you know, a, a horrible word choice, but you know, years later, people are still trying to rub his face in the shit for something that he said. Now I can't be the one who says when he should be forgiven because it didn't affect me. And I was just like, let it go, people. You know, oh, they hired a lip reader to see what he said because they couldn't hear the audio and all this stuff. And it's just like they want to keep punishing you. You know, they want to just keep punishing you until you die. And that's Mm. unfortunate. But then at the same time, I'm not the one who's offended by what either of these men said. So I can't be the one to make the decision of like, okay, we could like this guy now. Although I think a lot of people were quick to forgive Shaw because he, I don't want to say he got in front of it, but I think a lot of people just saw that it wasn't like he was gay bashing. I think what you said that I wanted to touch on, which really speaks to what's going on, is you know you, you said that you didn't think Van Beesbrook, you know, he, you think he said something poor, something out, something terrible, but you didn't think he acted on it. But I think that, is what people are trying to, you know, bring to light. It's like, he might, you know, it's like racism is so subconscious in a lot of ways. You know, like, you might say, oh, he only said what he said once, but he didn't act on it. But, like, it's possible that, you know, he has prejudice that it might be subconscious. And I'm not a psychologist. Right. I, I don't know the science. But, like, Maybe that came to hiring decisions or, you know, obviously like he might've said what he said about daily, but like maybe that same logic. And I don't know what he said. Obviously it's horrible. Um, you know, I, 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 did, I hadn't heard of that, but like maybe they came down to actual, actual actionable things, you know, mm-hmm. maybe he cost someone a job or maybe he, maybe he's a chair. I don't know anything about him. Maybe he was a charitable person and he gave money to a group over a group that you know has people of color like i don't know but it's that i think that's what people are trying to bring to light is that like people like him have these prejudices and these and these views and yeah he like it, it it's probably more than saying it the one time you know yeah. and i don't know um you know like i can't speak for him um but like it's i don't have the facts but like it's probably it's probable that if he was outlandish and horrific enough to say that out loud to a player, that it probably eked into other decisions he made throughout his life. That's why, you know, it's important to have these conversations because 
you know, it's easy for even the people who are do have terrible views and are racist to, you know, put the black buck box up on their Instagram and make a post and even donate. But like at the same time, like, you know, actions do speak louder than words. And it, it, if those are, especially if you're in a position where you can fuel oppression, you know, if you're a hiring manager or it's the only, uh, you know, example I can think of, but if you're hiring for a big company and that prejudice ekes into your job, like you're really like Donald Sterling, like, Obviously, what he said about Magic Johnson in, in that voicemail was horrific, but the actions he was committing for his almost his entire adult life were much more heinous, you know, Obje- objectively. Like, he was responsible for the plight and oppression of, of black people, you know? And yes, what he said was terrible, and it's good that he it cost him the Clippers, but, like, you see where it, it trickles into decision-making, and that's where... That's what has to stop because that's what leads people to, you know, that's where the oppression really begins. And again, I'm not an expert on anything, but I've just, I've done, I've tried to do a a lot of listening and that's something that I feel that I understand much better than I did last year that, you know, these things can, you know, you kind of have to check your, you have to check your privilege and like do your, like your best to make sure again, for people who do have those thoughts can learn from what's going on and can try to make change. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. If you, you're outwardly do something racist like that, then yeah, that there's a lot of other things that we don't see, you know, mm-hmm. behind the scenes or, 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 you know, uh, beneath <laughs> when you, you dig a, a layer or two deep and, and you find that it, it, it filters into all aspects. And, and that's a, that's a very good point. So are you ready to talk about some happy stuff? Yeah, yeah, I think I think we can transition here. All right. I mean, I, I don't have a good transition. I don't want to say, you know, um, can't really transition from racism and police brutality to oh. the next captain of the... Oh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, I, I can. I think I can try to do some justice. It's not going to be a good transition, but I think we'd be remiss not to mention that, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of great organizations and things people can do if they're looking to make actionable change in their communities. I know Chicago has like the Chicago Bail Fund, you know, which um, helps provide bail money for people who have been arrested protesting, as well as giving money to, uh, I believe there's a lot of cities that their local Black Lives Matter organizations, as well as national organizations, NAACP. Again, I'm not an expert, um, but, you know, a little bit of research, you know, you can find ways that you can make actionable actionable change, signing protests, donating money, going out protesting, however you see fit. I wouldn't even say like, well, just going out protesting in a way that um, brings change. So, what you know, do as much as you can. But yeah, uh, I just wanted to throw that out there so people know that we are, you know, at least I won't speak for you, but you know, and Sal, I, I know you well enough to know that you know, we're supporting Black Lives Matter and making sure that we want to see change in our community. You know, we both live in Chicago, uh, you know, and just around the country, around the world, and you know, back home in Michigan for me as well. But yeah. Um, unless you have anything to say, we can talk about the Red Wings, which you know I love to talk about. Yeah, let's let, let's talk about the Red Wings. So you want to talk about their new captain or who, who's going to be their new captain? Yeah, so, you know, I wrote about this in last week's Blake ta- Blake's Takes. Screwed up my own column title. Um, so, yeah, I know Steve Eiserman, he did, you know, the GM of the Red Wings, did an interview or Zoom last week. Uh, the Athletic Detroit, I 
think Chris Boltman is the beat writer. I, I, I'm not sure I should know that. Uh, I love The Athletic, by the way. Very good use of money. Um, but yeah, he wrote about how, you know, Eisenman in that conference, that, that Zoom call, uh, talked about that he will he plans to name a captain uh, this before this season. Uh, you know, the captaincy has been vacant since, I want to say, the end of 2018, when Henrik Zetterberg retired before the season. Uh, obviously, you know, being a Red Wings fan, you know, you if you go to the Joe Luce, you know, you go, not Joe wow, geez. Not Joe Lucerina. It's only been gone for a couple of years. It's it not has. like you said the Olympia or something. I mean, yeah, that would have been... Not- well, that's my dad would have said that, not me. I still say Chicago Stadium, and that that yeah. was torn down in '95 when the United oh, Center went up. So I mean, <laughs> does it make you feel old that that's the year I was born? A little, but you know what? It also, you know, here's the thing about age. I don't feel like an old person. I feel like a survivor. The difference yeah. is, is my joke to myself is I say another year without being a statistic because you think about how many times. I mean, not even people dying in horrible ways, but even just dying in stupid ways, car accidents, whatever, things that were preventable. So, you mm-hmm. know, I go, okay, yeah, 95. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I, I think in a way I'm a little envious because I feel like people who are born in 95, they got to fast forward. Well, I don't want to say fast forward to the good parts because right now is a bad part, but I feel mm-hmm. like living in the pre-internet days and learning how to do things the other way, was like the first act of a very boring movie. And then now the, with the internet, it's like, okay, now we're at the fun part. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, so you were born in 95 and you remember the internet. Just like I remember TV. And I remember my mom talking about them not having a TV. And I'm like, wow, that sounds terrible. And I remember my grandmother talking about not having a telephone. And I go, wow, that sounds ancient. You know what I mean? So I think, I think I'm more envious that you kind of get to skip to like where things got interesting. But then at the same time, you know, when I was 25, I don't think I had the same things to worry about as you did. So it's, it's, it's good. And it's bad. The, the, uh, the Red Wings. Yes. Who's going to be their captain. I, I mean, I yeah. have, yes. So, I mean, I think the pretty common answer is Dylan Larkin. Oh you know, yeah. Grew up in, okay. in Waterford, which is like 45 minutes from little Caesars arena. It's all like 20 minutes from where I'm, I'm from, you know, Went to University of Michigan, unfortunately, but he was pretty good there. Um, you know, fair, you know, the Red Wings have always been an organization that, you know, has been famous for, you know, developing and scouting in Europe. You know, Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg, you know, the Russian Five, all of those guys. So um, we haven't had a lot of, you know, obviously Eisenman was a captain for 20-something, 20 years, I think. You know, yeah. he was from, he's from British Columbia, but not a lot of Michigan, you know, even though Michigan's a huge hockey hotbed, um, the Wings haven't really had like a, an all-time great that's been from Michigan. Um, they've had a lot of players, you know, Mike Madano suited up for a season. Obviously, he's from he's from pretty close to where I'm from in Livonia. Uh, you know, a lot of great players from Michigan, Ryan Kessler, um, Tory Krug, but never, you know, Michigan. The Red Wings haven't really. Again, I'm 25. I don't. I've been a, again. You said good parts. My lifetime as a Red Wings fan, other than the past five years, has been the good part. Uh, as I stare at a Franz Nielsen bobblehead. At, that is reminds me of the bad parts in my room. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, they haven't had like a major player that's really been in the embodiment of the franchise that's been from Michigan. I actually have a buddy. He's, he went to Brother Rice, which is a pretty big high school um, in the area where a lot of kids who play hockey. And he's like, a lot of those kids never really have been into the wings because it's like they really don't look at like, you know, local talent. Um, 
again, that's just some something someone told me. But I think it's going to be Larkin. Obviously, he's, he's arguably the best player on the team. Um, you know, he's, from what I hear, is a lot of leadership experience. You know, I believe he was assistant captain or captain when he was at Michigan. Uh, I want to say assistant captain because he was a freshman. You know, I think he's captain or been the assistant captain uh, on a lot of like the junior, you know, the national teams he's played on. Uh, he has a lot of the grit. You know, he's pretty gritty. Um, you know, he obviously has a pretty long-term deal. I want to say he's got four years left on his contract. So I would expect it to be him. Uh, the whispers before, a couple years ago, were Justin Advocator, who I'm a big fan of, Michigan State guy, uh, went to my dad's high school in Muskegon, Michigan. But, you know, he's, his contract isn't the best, and I don't think, you know, I don't think it'll be him. I think the Wings should give it to a younger guy. So sorry to ramble, but I, I would say Larkin. Okay. Yeah, because I'm looking Advocator's uh, – uh... Is an alternate assistant, uh, Glenn, Luke Glendening, mm-hmm. Dylan Larkin, Another Michigan guy, and Franz Nielsen. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the rest of these names. I mean, wow, Darren Helm is still playing. Yep, that one year left on his contract. I want to say, you know, and it's funny because like when you talked about like uh, about like Jim Nil scouting. Uh, Europe, not not only with like the Russian players, but then I, you know, I think of guys like Nicholas Cronwall and Thomas mm-hmm. Holmstrom. You know, I mean, they were just were so good at just finding those those guys that didn't uh, stand out to others, but they would just they would just dig deeper and deeper. Yeah, that that that's uh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's it's exciting. I mean, I think like when I was. Uh, you know, when I, when I first got into hockey and, you know, Iserman was just like the captain of the Red Wings and he was just the captain of like the Red Wings forever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's cool to have that kind of player. And we have that right now in Chicago with Jonathan Taves, where mm-hmm. he's probably going to be the team captain until he retires. You know what yeah. I mean? He's just that kind of player. And, um, and, and it, it's, it's exciting um, and it's, it's obviously a little more complicated when, you know, you, okay. So when you, when you get a play, a player like a Connor McDavid, they're going to be mm-hmm. the captain or Sidney Crosby, you know, just like Wayne Gretzky, yeah. you know, or Mario Lemieux, you know, it's like a foregone conclusion that they're going to be the captain. Um, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's interesting when it's just like another player, I'm not saying that Larkin's not, I don't put him at the same level as like, say a McDavid or a, mm-hmm. uh, um, well, but, but what I'm saying though, is that I guess it's interesting because it's like, they kind of have to earn it on their character a mm-hmm. little bit more and maybe on their talent a little bit less. Although I'm not saying that it's like the other, I, I'm not, I'm not saying it's one or the other, and I'm not saying that these players aren't have character or whatnot. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Connor McDavid is, is awesome. I think Sidney Crosby's awesome. But I mean, there's a reason why those guys are the team captains, and it's because, like, hands down, they're just the best player on the team. You know, there's like, yeah. it's like no competition there. You know what I mean? And it almost like you almost raise your eyebrow when you have like that player who's like so sublimely talented, but they're not the team captain, and you're like, well, what's wrong with them? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Like, that's kind of like. You know, in, in, in my column, I talk a lot about the things I don't like, but that's one of my favorite parts about hockey. I always point to um, Dustin Brown, you know. He was captain of the Kings, and, like, mm. you know, he was good. He was a good player for a while when they were mm. winning those Cups, but, like, he was never, what, maybe even the top five best player on his own team. You know, the team was, those Kings teams were stacked. Jonathan Quick, Drew Doughty, mm. um, Anze Kopitar, Jeff Carter. Like, you know, they were all different. You know, Doughty was really young, so he probably wouldn't have been named the captain when they were winning, but 
you know, I think they won their second cup. He's 24. But, you know, Brown was like kind of like I'd always have this conversation with friends like, you know, I think his best years he was 20, maybe a 25 goal scorer. But like, mm-hmm. he was a third line guy and he was a captain. I always thought that was super cool. Like it doesn't always have to be the best player. I'm trying in my head to, you know, David Backus. Um, I mean, he was, you know, really good when he was in St. Louis, but like that, you know, St. Louis was, uh, they didn't have anyone who would like jump out at you, you know, uh, right. obviously like Petrangelo is the captain. Now they, they never had like the flashy forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have Tarasenko now, but like, you know, the guy who was immediately like, Oh, he, he's McDavid. He's the best player. He's going to be a captain, but right. You know, Taves or Kane probably would have been your pick in Chicago, but uh, I always like that about, you know, hockey, the Dustin Brown being like, you know, my number one example of like a guy who, you know, isn't clear, isn't even clearly a t- oh, the best player on his team, but had must have those leadership skills and you know, that respect in the locker room to be named captain for obviously they stripped him eventually, but to be that to be worthy that long, not have that kind of talent. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's cool. So it should be inter- it'd be even more interesting if the Red Wings don't don't kind of go with what we're all thinking it's going to be as far as the um who, who their next captain is. There was some other news last week in the world of hockey. The Vegas Golden Knights, they were mm-hmm. for a little while they were kind of holding on to when they were going to announce uh the uh the the name of their AHL team uh, that's going to be in Henderson, which is like a suburb of of Las Vegas. And they were not announcing it because there was so much going on with the coronavirus uh, epidemic. And it was like they announce it and then it's like and then all hell breaks loose shortly thereafter. It's like almost like I don't know if they announced it the same day or the day before, whatever. But it's like they found that little sliver of window to be like, okay, everybody is kind of calm for a little bit. Let's just talk about this. And then the next day, boom, it's like it it, it goes up again. Mm-hmm. So the Golden Knights, okay, so the owner wanted the team to, the Golden Knights, he wanted them to be the Black Knights, but that didn't happen. So mm-hmm. he took Golden Knights, right? So then the minor league team is the Silver Knights, which I actually think is a cool name, but I don't know if I'm feeling the logo because it's like, it's a horse head, and the horse has armor on it. We're going to post a picture of this, of course. But then, like, the armor that goes over, like, the horse's face is in the shape of an H. And that's the mm-hmm. first thing I saw. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, you guys worked so hard to get that H in there, and it didn't need to be there. And I guess it's not terrible, because it's maybe not as obvious as, I don't know the H in the Hartford Whalers logo, although some people, mm-hmm. Whalers was before your time. They were this team that played in Hartford, Connecticut, and they eventually became the Carolina Hurricanes. And now you know. I Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> but... I'm busting you. So anyways, you know, but I, I've known people who've been like, oh, I never noticed that there was an H in the Whalers logo. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the whole point of the logo. Otherwise, yeah. it's just kind of a dumb logo unless you notice the H. So I think at first I just looked at this and I go, oh, that's cute. They put an H in it. They tried way too hard. And I think the more I look at it, the more I think it's actually kind of badass for a minor Mm -hmm. league hockey team because minor league hockey teams, a lot of them tend to suffer from like ridiculous cartoon animal as a mascot or ridiculous mascot as a mascot. And this is neither. 
I think you're speaking too soon. I, I I would bet that whatever the like, I think the logo is cool, but I almost hope whenever they do unveil the mascot, it's going to be ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I, I would expect it to be. Uh, but yeah, in regard to the logo, um, I like it. I I think it's cool that the the Golden Knights and the Silver Knights, you know, are of the same theme. That being said, I thought the Golden Knights was so much potential with Vegas and color scheme and. They totally dropped the ball there with like, I was so hyped for these jerseys and, you know, the, the new branding and everything and very much fell flat on the face. Like, oh, you're the first team in Vegas. You have every opportunity available for you. You're going to be like the cool new kid on the block and they dropped the ball. Um, regardless of how I feel, uh, on the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, you know, Silver Knights, not that cool of a name, but I actually really like the logo. Uh, I think. Yeah, the, the, the H might be kind of a gimmick, but I think that, like, it works because it's not blatantly obvious. Same with the V in the Golden Knights. Like, okay, it's – yeah, it's a V, it's an H. But, like, it doesn't take away from what the object is. It's, like, it's a horse. I think the horse looks badass. I think it looks like a bionic horse, like a, almost like mm-hmm. a ghost demon that's going to, like, haunt your dreams. I think it looks sick. I think the colors, like the silver – and black really fit with Vegas um, mm-hmm. or Henderson. I hope that they do the uniforms justice and they look really cool on the ice. Uh, no gold or no red this time, please. Whoever designed these, you know, I think black. Like, look at the Kings. They they there's such a clean look, black and silver, especially in an area like Vegas where it's super flashy. So yeah, I'm a fan. The uniforms look cool enough. Like, or to ha- I'll buy a t-shirt. Screw it. But yeah, I like it. What, okay, so yeah, I agree with you about the red in the Vegas Golden Knights jersey. I don't like it. It doesn't do anything for me. Now, let me backpedal a little bit. When I said mascot, I had totally forgotten about the Vegas Golden Knight mascot chance. The, is it a Gila lizard? Oh, I don't even know. You, no, because you said ridiculous, and you said the ridiculous. You're talking about that ridiculous mascot of, of, of the Golden Knights, right? Oh, I, I know. I was just talking in general, but I'm looking at, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah, yeah it's so, ridiculous. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is like, so minor league hockey, you know, if you want to go ahead and, and uh, Google uh, Toledo Walleye, that's a that's a ridiculous ECHL logo. And then like I think of like the Peoria Rivermen, like circa um, early 2000s, where it was just kind of like a cartoony ship captain. You know, it seemed like minor league logos – as somebody explained to me, and I don't, I don't like this explanation, but they say, well, minor league teams try to be kid friendly because they want to have families come to the games, so they always try to have like a cartoony logo. Mm-hmm. No, I want a badass logo. If I was a kid, I want that badass horse. Mm-hmm. Before, um, I want like the, the 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 silly cartoon fish. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, I'll as an adult, I'll take the silly cartoon fish because that's just kind of who I am. But mm-hmm. um. Like, yeah, like you said, awesome on a t-shirt. That might actually end up being the best-selling AHL logo because they don't have to – they could do what they want to do with it. It's not like, oh, well, like, for instance, like, uh, you have teams in, like, cities that are around for so long they can't really change the team name or the team identity because it's been around for so long. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas because this is starting new – and, you know, they're like, well, let's make the Knights, the Silver Knights, and let's make a badass horse. Now, I was thinking that they were going to go with something that would continue with the, the theme of, like, Knights. 
And at first I was thinking Squires would have been a cool name because like a squire is like the person who assists the knight and aspires to be the knight. You know, they're kind of like the understudy. I mean, I guess maybe being a squire is also the shit work of, of the job. But, you know, knights would sometimes start out as squires and then move up. So that's one idea. Then looking at the horse, I thought like maybe Silver Steeds would have been a cool name too. Because Steed is like another name for a horse, but it's usually for like a strong horse. You know what I mean? You wouldn't call like mm-hmm. a weak horse wouldn't be a steed or a sick horse or a sickly horse, but like a steed would be like a, you know, a, a military horse. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like you hear about the knight on their mighty steed. Right. And so I thought that would also be a cool name. And then the last thought I was going to say is that if I knew they were going to go with the horse head logo, I always loved the way that the knight in chess looked like the horse head chess piece and i think that would make a badass logo but eh, what do i know and some people might look at it and say oh it's just a chess piece looking at it from the side but like looking at this graphic that the golden knights released where they're explaining that the h represents our home in henderson and the 20 links of chainmail and 21 rivets represent our 2021 inaugural season and the golden eyes pay homage to the parent club in vegas i'm reading this verbatim off their graphic and the shield shape mirrors the golden knights like oh my god they thought really hard about this and i guess that's okay yeah (laughs) <laughs> lot, lot to unpack, but I think in regard to, I like when teams put um, a lot of effort into that. I, you know, I don't really need the story. You know, I think it's kind of corny, but it's. I think it's cool that there there is a re- a rhyme and reason behind mm-hmm. the mascot. Um, mm-hmm. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Premier Lacrosse League. They're a new league. This will be their second season. They're wait, what are they called? Rate. Well, the league is called the Premier Lacrosse League. So wait, what? Uh, backtrack. What happened to Major League Lacrosse? So there's still a thing. Uh, to my knowledge, I'm not a big lacrosse guy. Okay. But um, I listened to part of my take, which is a barstool podcast, and they've had so the co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League. His name is Paul Rabel. He's for most people who know lacrosse. Again, I don't really know much. He's probably the, he's like the one guy you can name. You know, like if you don't follow soccer, you might know Ronaldo. You might know Messi. He's he's like that version. You know, right. he's uh, he's won every award. He was he's commonly known as the best player. He's also lacrosse's first millionaire. Uh, just really smart guy. Went to Johns Hopkins, you know, sponsorships with Red Bull, GoPro. So he started this league. He is the his brother's the commissioner. He's a player and started and founder of the league. And mm-hmm. he so they just started last year and they unveiled their sixth lacrosse club this season. So now they went for or excuse me, they went from six to seven. And he talked about on one of the Pardon My Take podcasts how much effort and how much science and data went behind creating a new logo, you know, in order for proper branding and to get people engaged with it and to like make it, you know, make it so it can help drive, you know, money and, you know, whether that's engagement on social media, television, you know, internet hits to their site because people think the logo, you know, mesh with the logo. So, right. um, I think it's cool that it seems like the creators of this graphic clearly put the time and effort into it. In regard to the the cartoonish stuff, I've actually I've had a couple conversations with execs from minor league baseball, and uh, I'm not, not sure if you've ever, you've ever seen the Lansing Lugnuts mascot. I don't even know what it is. It's some sort of. I'm gonna look it up now. Thing, 
But yeah, I think like all minor league sports are basically based on the fan experience because they have no say on personnel or teams. You know, they uh, like, for example, I won't say the name of the owner because they're not a progressive family, but the owners of the Grand Rapids Griffins, they own the team, but they have no say on anything besides marketing and branding, you know. Ken or not Ken Holland anymore, Jesus. Steve Eiserman, who is the, the GM of the Red Wings, makes all personnel moves with his staff for the Griffins. You know, he decides who comes up, who goes down. Same with the walleye. Um, so all the owners of the AHL teams do is pretty much like market the hell out of their team. Obviously, it's helpful when you have studs on the roster, but typically mm-hmm. they want to create a fan experience. So because it's just it's a fun, cheaper way to see a hockey game and have a night out you know i, I used to, when i was living in lansing i'd go to griffin's games because they were cheap and they were fun um and like obviously as a hockey guy i could see players who i knew were coming up like again when i was living in lansing the lansing lug nuts are a low a minor league baseball team so that's, that's a lug nut by the way that's their logo it's a lug nut yeah but their mascot oh 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 so the mascot not their logo but yeah, like some sort of mascot. creature that all right yeah in oh lansing, my god yeah yeah what the Whole, yeah, dude, kill it, kill it with fire right now. I know. Big, Big lug. lug is its yep. name. I love ah! it. When okay, I, was I take, in Lansing, hold on. I take back every bad thing I've ever said about Clark the Cub. You don't like Big Lug? Okay, I thought Clark was pretty stupid, but <laughs> yeah, I don't like Big Lug. Okay, I'm sorry. Please continue. No, it's fine. Yeah, when I was living there, uh, they had two players who don't play. So the Lugnuts are an affiliate for the Toronto Blue Jays. So, you know, naturally, guys, if they don't get traded, they play for the Blue Jays eventually. They had two players who were, like, the two best players in the minor leagues at the time. And this is three levels before. So in baseball, it's low A, low single A, high single A, double A, triple A, major league. So, you know, three or four what, four levels away from the majors. Yep. And these guys were so good. And also their dads played in the big leagues, Vladimir Guerrero and Bo Bichette were the two players on the lug nuts. So, you know, any baseball fan would know their dads. And they were also so high profile and so good that the, I, the uh, guys I was talking to were actually like, we finally started promoting players because we had the players to promote. Uh, but obviously those guys were in and out of there in half season, but they, you know, they try to have fan friendly mascots because, you know, that's what brings in the kids. That's what, you know, because a lot of these minor league baseball teams, especially, they have games on weekdays and they promote them for field trips for schools. And that's mm-hmm. how they sell a lot of their tickets. So it's kind of necessary for the business end. But I agree. Like, yeah, it would be cool to see a demonic, badass horse walking on the stands. But that might not sell as many tickets. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you shared that information with me because um, it, it did kind of back up what I, what I remember hearing about minor league mascots trying to be kind of kid-friendly and stuff. I... Um, I can't get over this 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 big lug. I know. I it's, love Big Lug, man. He, he's the best. I guess I could learn to like Big Lug. I'm just not sure why. But no, um, fair. you know, it's funny because you mention um okay, yeah, it's true that usually the 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 team like the Griffins, they you know, they're in red wing colors for obvious reasons. And I remember when they wore different colored jerseys because they were affiliated with a different team. I think of like the Chicago Wolves and they've been around for a long time. I mean, they started in 94, 95 as an IHL team. For those who don't know, the IHL was a competitor to the AHL, but it also had independent teams that could sign whatever players they wanted. 
but sometimes they'd also get players supplied to them by NHL teams. So probably one of the most famous Wolves players during their IHL days was Rick DiPietro before he became the Islanders goaltender. Um, Mm -hmm. The Islanders were like, we want this guy to play not another year of high school or junior or college. We want to put him with grown men and make him grow up a little faster. So they put him with the Chicago Wolves for the 2000-2001 season. And I remember watching him and being like, wow, that's the goalie, the first goalie to get picked first overall in the NHL draft. And he was playing for the Chicago Wolves. And then, you know, the Wolves, um, though they always got to keep their identity when they became an AHL team. I mean, they did have a jersey that looked like Atlanta Thrasher jerseys, but they Mm -hmm. only wore those once in a while. And when they were affiliated with the Blues, they didn't change their color to blue. They didn't change their mascot. They were still the Wolves. They still wore their maroon jerseys, and that's just the way it is. Um, and- yeah, because it's not really for – the Chicago Wolves don't exist for their – I mean, they do exist in terms of hockey on the ice for their NHL affiliate, but in the community in Chicago, they exist for hockey. They exist for the community, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's even funny when the uh, Golden Knights said that they were going to end their relationship with the Chicago Wolves and the Chicago Wolves came out and just said, well, we're not interested in reaffiliating with the St. Louis Blues. And I'm just like, damn, maybe you should kind of wait and see how things shake out before you get it, you know, before you get too choosy about who your dance partner is. You know, I mean, I think that was public posturing and maybe they were really trying to woo the Carolina Hurricanes, who's going to be their affiliate. They haven't announced it yet, but um, which is interesting because last year it's interesting because the previous season, the Carolina Hurricanes affiliate Charlotte Checkers team beat the Chicago Wolves in the uh, AHL Calder Cup finals. Now that same team that beat the Wolves are going to be the Wolves. Yeah, yeah, and all is, the guys that we cheered for this season and last season, we don't get to say goodbye to. And I say we because I was a season ticket holder this season. So I would go to not all the games. I had a partial plan, but still they actually, the Wolves treat their, even if you're a partial season ticket holder, they treat you like gold like you get invited to like christmas parties and and like functions and stuff like that even if you do 10 games or 20 games and not the full season but yeah we don't get to say goodbye to our our guys so it's just kind of kind of funny sorry a bit of a tangent there but um, no you brought up the wolves and i have a very important question to ask you sure when you go to games at all state arena is that it? yes that is correct do you, do you drive there we do drive there do you park in, in the stadium lot? Yes. I can honestly say the two times that I have driven and parked there have been two of the worst experiences of my sporting event life. I would and these were for games or for concerts? Yeah. One for a concert and one I went to. So a couple of years ago, Northwestern was having repairs done to their wherever they play basketball. I don't even know. Ryan Fieldhouse, maybe. And so they playing the, the men's team was playing in all state arena. So they played Michigan state and I was there and I didn't have cash to get into the arena parking lot. So they drove me, they brought me all the way around to that target. That's next door. Had to running, go to the, AT. it was just, I hate stadiums that you have to park in one lot because it's miserable in and out. And I wouldn't, I literally wouldn't wish it on my first enemy. So you are a better man than I for willingly 
paying money and parking there more than uh, out of choice. And I respect that because I will never do it again. Well, I'll say this. Okay, so the 2018-19 season, parking was actually free all season long and in the playoffs, and it was sponsored by Kia Motors. Now, here's the power of advertising. When I was thinking of a company earlier on, Kia Motors popped into mind. I thought of the stupid um, the stupid commercials that they did with the, the hamsters in the car. Do you remember yep, that? That was great commercials. They had somebody, they'd have skates, the Wolves mascot skating around, throwing T-shirts out to the audience, but then they also had the Kia Motors mascot skating around but it was literally just a dude wearing a kia motors hockey jersey and a hamster head but i don't think he even had like i think he still had like normal human hands whereas like skates is like proportion has like more cartoonish proportions where he has like broad shoulders and you know what i mean it's a costume it's a mascot costume and the kia motors mascot was literally just a dude in jeans and a hockey jersey and hockey skates and then a mask and it just looked it just looked so weird seeing the two of them (laughs) skate around together on the ice during intermission because they'd be like free parking all season long brought to you by kia motors okay so you didn't bring cash to a a, a basketball game to pay for parking yeah, it's kind of on you it's, but okay it's not even it's not the, i would i i don't care how much it is i would have paid 50 dollars. it's it's the in and out and you know because if you go to again i'm from you know i'm from detroit so like it's a driving city so pretty much if you're going to a game downtown but like there's not really like there's it, there's a variety of lots there's a variety of structures you park in so not everyone's in the same place so getting out is much easier and people go different ways. Whereas if you all park in the same lot, every there's only you're all going the same way. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's like two or three exits, but you're all going in and out the same way. And it is miserable. Okay, that is yeah. true. That is true. That is that is in fact true. I'll pay fifty, sixty dollars to I mean uh, not for a wolf's game, but I would rather pay fifty, sixty dollars to park in a reasonable lot than park there for free. But the thing is is that with parking uh, well, first of all, parking should not cost more than a ticket. So, fifty bucks for parking—I don't know where you came up with that number. I'm just spitball. I'm just—I'm just trying to illustrate how terrible and how miserable it makes me to park at that arena. I—I I wouldn't actually pay that amount. I would just wouldn't go. When I was a kid, and there was still this—the Chicago Stadium. My aunt and uncle had season tickets to the Blackhawks games, and we would come into the—we'd drive into the lot and. Somebody'd collect the money and then they would point to where they wanted us to park. And it was 10 bucks mm-hmm. for parking. And my uncle would always say to the guy, here's 20. How about I park over there? And he would That's point funny. to a spot that was like right like up against the sidewalk. So basically when the game was over, he could just hop the sidewalk and be on the street. You know what I mean? Like, I love it. I instead love of it. having to like weave in and out and do this and wait in line. He'd always just look because they'd be like $10, please, and or $8. And he'd be like, here's 20 How about you let me park over there? And the person would always just kind of nod their head quickly and then just let him park so that he could always get out quickly. Because, yeah, you're right. That is frustrating. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Allstate Arena. It, back then it was called the Rosemont Horizon. I saw Def Leppard in concert, and it took forever to get out of like I couldn't because like you said because I was so used to like Chicago Stadium and like even if we had to wait at least there's wait different ways in different ways out different lots stuff like that 
Um, yeah, it is a little crazy when you just have one one place, and that's uh, the only way out, right? But, um, yeah, what are you going to do? I will say that when I was in college, we also used to hop mass transit and go to Wolves games, and that was kind of hard to do, but it was fun because it was cheap. Yeah, I mean, hey, do what you got to do. I mean, I would <laughs> happily do it if I could, but, um, you know, like I won't even... Oh, I just wish United Center so hard to get to, from at least from where I live. Um, and so obviously getting up to Rosemont for the cities without a car is not the easiest either. But what are you yeah. going to do? Thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. And uh, if you like the show, please tell your friends. Please tell your family. Please tell fellow uh, hockey fans. Until next time, uh, thank you for listening. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.